Welcome to the Gym Heroes Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. Today's show is brought to you by Gymdesk, the easiest gym management software you'll ever use. Take payments, create marketing automations, track attendance, and much more. To try the software out free, go to gymdesk.com. No credit card or painful sales call required. Our hero today is Grant Bogdanov, a professional MMA fighter and gym owner in a foreign country, Japan. Grant is half Japanese in terms of his family heritage, but he was born and raised in the United States. In this episode, we explore what it's like running a business in a different country and culture, as well as what it looks like to balance that life while also being a professional fighter. Without further ado, here's Grant Bogdanov. All right, man. Well, uh, welcome to the show. Um, go ahead and give give our listeners a background, uh, your background in martial arts, who you are, and uh, MMA competition too, because you're a competitor. Sure. So my name is Grant Bogdanov. Um, I am half Japanese. I was born in Ithaca, New York, and then raised in Ames, Iowa. Uh, from the age of six or seven, I started doing judo, um, just as like an after school thing, uh, that transitioned into wrestling in high school. And then back in college, I went back to judo for a little bit. Um, I started BJJ in my third year of college, um, got really into BJJ. Then I went to Japan, uh, to teach English part of um, discovering like half of my heritage type of thing, uh, really fell in love with the country and the sport of BJJ in Japan specifically, um, ended up doing a couple of MMA fights. I fought amateur two years ago. Um, then I fought pro last year and I fought twice last year pro, um, both first round finishes. And then I opened up my own gym as well in Japan last year. BJJ and uh, Nogi Gym. Nice, dude. You've been you've been very very active. Um, did a, a point of interest? Did you say that you got introduced into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in Japan? Like, well, yeah. Like I always I knew what it was. Um, when my brother came back from college one one summer when I was still in high school, he was he did some BJJ in college and he was trying to show me the triangle choke. Yeah, at home. And I had no idea. I like, I was a wrestler, you know, why are you on your back? Like wrapping your legs around the dude's head. What is this? Magic yeah, yeah. So I kind of knew what it was. And back in college, um, to get like my judo ground skills up, I used to go to the BJJ club once a semester, just okay. to like smash some white belts and get smashed by some purple belts. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, I started seriously in Japan. I wanted to do judo over there when I was studying abroad. Mm-hmm. But, um, like it didn't work out for some weird reason. The city I was in had no real place to do judo. So, um, a friend of mine found this BJJ gym and I went there and it was awesome. And that's how it all started. Cool. Very unique. It, how, how, how is, is Japan like very friendly towards Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Do they look at it at like, like similar to the way they look at judo or is it kind of like, that's the, 
the foreigner martial art or is it, uh, how, how do they view it? So it's more towards of like the foreigner martial art. Yeah. Um, they view BJJ as uh, an offshoot of judo. Yeah. Like I still have white belts in my gym who refer to their gi as like a judo gi mm-hmm. and who, who kind of even refer to BJJ as judo still. Um, <laughs> there's no distinction because the influence of judo is so strong here. And yeah. The influence of the UFC is like so weak here in Japan. Yeah. Not a lot of people know what the UFC is. Whereas everybody in the States, I would say a large majority of the black belts in the States started BJJ because they saw Hoist Gracie on the UFC. Mm-hmm. It's just much more mainstream over there. And that's one thing we have to fight over here um, as gym owners is like, you can't just get a customer. First, you have to tell them what, BJJ is. They don't even know what you're selling, right? So that's one hurdle to overcome over here because it's so hmm. minor. Yeah. I think if you if you look at the history of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's not even inaccurate really to say it is an offshoot of Judo. But it's, I would argue, it's kind of come into its own, especially with cross-pollination with wrestling and Sambo, uh, especially as like Keegan Machado and, um, and uh, Hickson and uh, who is Hickson's? Holes? Is that what it was? Holes Gracie? He's like a prodigy that like died too early that everyone remembers him as like the sleeping giant of the of the Gracie family. But yeah, they were like super into all that stuff. And so there's been a lot of like other influences that have come back, come back and wrap themselves into it. That's that's really cool. So tell me, you you said you started a a gym in Japan, um, and you also fought twice last year. What was it like starting a gym in Japan? Was that something that you went there? wanting to do or is it kind of something you decided to do later yeah um you know it's weird but i feel like a lot of guys who put on the gi and maybe they get their blue belt and then they start winning tournaments like every blue belt who wins a couple championships gets it in their mind that they want to open up a gym and like make (laughs) bjj their thing for the rest of their life you know hashtag bjj saved my life that kind of stuff yeah um yeah, I used to be down and not have any like hobbies or anything. And BJJ did save my life. Like, I hate to say it, but I am one of those guys. Um, <laughs> it's cringe, but it's I, true. Yeah, I always wanted to make it like my career. And uh, I didn't go to Japan planning to do it. I went to Japan. I was going to teach English for two years, mm-hmm. like absorb the culture. You know, I felt like I owed that to my heritage um, and then come back to the States, get a real job. Um, but I just ended up staying over here and, uh, and things fell in place for me to start my own gym. So it was planned out. Like I didn't just decide one day to do it, but, um, I wasn't planning it for a number of years or anything. I I knew in the back of my head, I was going to do it starting around like two years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to build up some, some students, some experience and that type of thing. Uh, but then like opportunities arose where just kind of, happened a little bit faster than I was planning originally. So I, I grabbed those opportunities. Sweet. So what has it been like operating a business in Japan? Um, yeah, I've never run a business before. I've worked like my entire adult life as an employee. Yeah. Um, never really had any side hustles or anything either. So it's all quite new to me. But um, so one of the things that's quite different 
about the States and Japan is that in Japan, there's this culture of martial arts. So right. there might be mat spaces at like YMCA's or something in the States, but in Japan, in literally every city, there's public gyms with uh, large judo rooms, mm-hmm. mats that you can just rent out. So one of the easiest ways, if you want to start a gym here, is to start renting a space like that once or twice a week or something and getting like a circle going. Um, you know, you, you know, learn some BJJ, 500 yen a session, whatever, like $5 a session, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, once you build up 10 students, like loyal, solid guys and girls, maybe, um, then you go off and build your own place and you tell yeah. them like, Hey, sorry, it's not 500 yen a session anymore. It's going to be 150 bucks a month, but can you please join? And then when all of them join you and none of them quit, then you kind of know you got a good thing going. Um, and yeah, it's not that hard over here. It's probably the same as it is in America. Like I don't have any experience doing it over there, but you just got to do like a little bit of paperwork with the government uh, when you start a business, just to mm-hmm. let them know so that they can tax you later. Um, find a place, try to negotiate a little bit, um, get the mats in and everything, and then just start. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, over here. Well, I mean, it's, 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 if you go to, there's other states, it's difficult, but I ran a little Taekwondo club in um, South Carolina and it was pretty easy. Like, I just, you file for a, a business structure with the state of South Carolina and then um, they send you like a certificate that you're allowed to be open or something. And then you, you go, you get uh, for fitness businesses, you just pay like 80 bucks and they give you a, an approval to run a fitness business. And that's other than you just keep track of your, your finances so you can pay your taxes. And that's, that's most of what's for, as far as with the government, that's, that's all you have to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Marketing and actually running the business is of course more complicated, but um, has it, what do you, I am actually curious. This is kind of not a question I plan to ask, but what do you do for marketing? Is it mostly been word of mouth? Or are there are there other things that you do? You said there's already there there is already a culture of martial arts there. So how is it that you you attract more people into the the dojo? Yeah, you know it's hard. Um, it's no easy task. Uh, some of my students, actually, a, a number of them have introduced their friends, um, and a number of those friends have actually joined the gym. So word of mouth has been probably the number one mm-hmm. uh, factor that has increased our our sales. And the other things that we do, like in Japan, uh, they're really into pamphlets. Like if you ever live here, you'll be surprised in, in your apartment's mailbox how many pamphlets there are. Hmm. People just, it's super analog over here. Faxes, copies, scans, like newspapers paper. They love paper. So we do pamphlets, like putting, going around, putting them in people's apartments, mailboxes and stuff. Um, and then also Facebook marketing, like Facebook ads, um, started off like doing really easy stuff, like just boosting a post. Mm -hmm. But then, um, I started to get into like the Facebook, the business side, the business suite type of thing and doing a little more detailed marketing there. Still getting that off the ground though. But yeah, and then also uh, putting on like going to competitions and stuff that gets the name up a little bit. Um, there were some people who joined the gym or at least came by uh, because of my last fight. 
I was able to mm. fight in this organization called Ryzen. That's yeah, probably like that. the biggest organization in Japan right now. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like the Ryzen Ryzen main show. It was the first time they decided to do it in a cage. So it's kind of like an offshoot, um, maybe like as opposed to a UFC pay-per-view, like a UFC fight night type of thing. Right. But um, yeah, that was big. And I use the pictures of me wearing the Ryzen gloves and stuff from that um, in my marketing. And that seems to have a good effect. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Over here, unless you're like a real like Floyd Mayweather or something like very, very famous name, that, that's usually not going to help you too much. Sometimes when you have a really serious like sport school, you can attract people from like across the state or um, in very rare circumstances, you can attract people from across the nation like if it's Olympic level because I mostly do stuff in the Taekwondo uh, area. So Olympic Taekwondo is, is the big thing. But for the most part, like if you're pr producing pretty good competitors, that's really, that's just, that's just for your own, for your own, um, accomplishment because people, the local people don't really keep up with that much. You know, mm -hmm. some of them, will, a lot of them will watch UFC, but most of them have no idea what Taekwondo is or, or the sport. That's really cool. That's very cool that you can go and you can fight and you can put, um, you know, show that you, that you competed in, in, in that promotion and that helps people to show up. Awesome. So speaking of, of your professional, professional fighting, how, how have you managed training to be a professional fighter with running a gym? Um, yeah, that's a good question. You know, my, my mindset going into opening a gym, uh, was like, when I was really focusing on BJJ competition, that was the only thing I focused on. Like no girlfriend, job at a minimum, and just really zeroed in on one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I kind of just realized along the way that like just focusing on one thing is kind of, I don't want to say necessarily a cop-out or something, but like it's possible to do multiple things um, at once. So yeah, I just decided to open a gym. And uh, if anything, it has helped my training schedule because um, I was able to build the gym with like walls on three sides of half of the gym, um, matted walls for training MMA, like mm -hmm. wall wrestling and stuff. So yeah. I built my own, my perfect like gym for sparring for myself. And uh, I can bring guys to me now. So I don't have to go ride my bike to some other gym to train. Mm -hmm. And uh my day goes like this. So I wake up, I go to the gym, I teach the morning class. After the morning class, I do my own training, either BJJ or MMA or Nogi. Um, then I do the kids class and then the evening class. After pro training, maybe I do some like, you know, desk work type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then the night class and then go home and that's it. So yeah, it's, it's completely possible to be a pro fighter and run a gym. Um, I know I could probably do the gym better, like on the days that I've, I've not trained and I had like three plus hours to sit on the computer and do stuff. Um, my productivity has gone up, but as far as right now goes, like, yeah, doing a pro, having a pro career and also running the gym, no problem. Cool. Do you have anyone that 
that helps you manage with the office work. I think I saw on your website that you have other people that teach classes, but you actually teach most of the classes, it looks like. Yeah, I teach all of them. Like a lot of my students, um, I started getting students like less than two years ago. So, you know, they're all like still white belts. Um, I don't really promote so fast. So they're like the highest, my first generation of guys from like two years ago, they're all three stripe white belts right now. So none of them can really, you know, take over classes yet. I've got uh, some blue belts who came in later that that are almost ready. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this month I'm going to go corner one of my guys at Ryzen mm-hmm. and uh, I got to take a few days off for that. So I think I'll have some of my blue belts actually like cover the classes there and that will be a start. Um, maybe they could get some classes regularly in the future, but yeah, my fiance does uh, stretch. Stretch, I don't know if it's like a popular thing in the States right now, but um, in Japan, it's pretty big. It's like yoga with massage and none of the um, meditative stuff. Uh, and she does that. And also we've got one other uh, stretch coach. So I've, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it's weird. Like <laughs> I always thought it was referred to as stretching. It might be a weird Japanese um, like English mistake thing happens yeah. all the time over here, but they just refer to it as like stretch. Yeah. And uh, you come in and someone, like if you're doing the splits, someone like pushes your back to explain it in like a super basic way. It's yeah. like assisted stretching. So partner stretching. Like, and Yeah. But it's brutal, man. Like I don't do it anymore. I'm afraid of um, like getting injured and stuff doing it. So wow, a lot of people come in though. And when I'm sitting there like working in the gym and listening to them, they're screaming like women, men, even the kids are crying. If kids take the class, they cry. Yeah. Why is it so popular? (laughs) My theory is that over here, we live in a very strict society and um, they, they, you know, they go to work, they don't talk to anyone and they don't, they can't even at home, maybe they're not allowed to express themselves the way they want to. But when they come to our gym, it's, it's a basement, right? You can be loud. You can just like, let out your soul and scream while you're getting stretched out. (laughs) It's a release in more ways than one. (laughs) That's funny. I I do think that it seems like Asian cultures value things like flexibility a lot more. We don't really value value flexibility over here. Like if you, you know, oh, cool. Like this kid is really flexible. That's awesome. I used to be that way. I'm not anymore. And then as you get older and your flexibility fades, you just kind of resign yourself to that instead of trying to work to keep yourself flexible. And really, I mean, if you were to keep yourself flexible, you'd probably have fewer pains and fewer injuries. That sucks. Yeah, it's a super health conscious society over here. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, as they get older, they don't get obese or, you know, their health doesn't deteriorate. Yep. But I mean, it is still like a society that's impacted by the West a lot. Um, you got alcoholics, you got people who smoke, you got people who are obese. So yeah. Yeah, as a whole, people are a little more health conscious maybe. And they're also yeah. smaller over here. So yeah. in, in jujitsu, um, you'll find people to be a lot more technical. Well, I can't really judge. I haven't rolled with so many guys in the States recently, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just being small, 
you have to develop your bottom game a little more over here. Yeah. I'm a smaller guy, so I can't really say. Um, I know we have a lot of bigger guys over here, especially guys that used to be in wrestling. I think, I think a lot of the pro, like when you get to pro belt, most, most of the guys are pretty technical. Maybe the really, yeah. really big guys aren't as technical, but smaller guys are definitely technical. They got their mm-hmm. angles really good. Their timing's really good. It's all dialed in, but yeah. I, I, I do know that like generally speaking, it's based on, cause I've never been to Japan, but based on how a lot of people that have fought in Japan, Gracie's and old school fighters and stuff like that, they, they say that, that basically people, Japanese people that watch combat sports tend to be more informed about what's going on in general, even if they're not like super into training. Like they usually kind of understand what's going on the ground with grappling. Whereas in the United States, if, if the guys aren't popping each other with, you know, punches and kicks that make them bleed, they get antsy. (laughs) They start booing. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird over here. Like they don't really make much noise. Mm -hmm. Um, it's dead silent when the fights are going on and it's only like after the fights that they clap a little bit. And even in the movie theaters, like they don't make noise. Um, I was watching like the Spider-Man movie Mm -hmm. and trying not to crack up. Like it was just so nostalgic. That's my generation. I'm 27 and I just loved it. And I was trying not to crack up during one of these scenes because no one was laughing. Like even at the, <laughs> the biggest scenes where it's like, yeah, oh my gosh, nobody, it was dead silent. And I was like stifling myself. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm usually not loud in the theater, but when I watched Spider-Man and that was my generation too, like I freaking, yeah. I freaking love those movies. Mm. I was so loud, dude. I think some of the people behind me, I was like, yes. <laughs> right. Um, but you can, yeah, see, that's awesome. But I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> it's yeah. not socially, you know, you, you're like, oh, one of these guys, but, um, but yeah, it's not like a huge faux pas as long as you're not disrupting people the entire movie. Yeah. (laughs) That was, that was a fun movie. Um, so how, how is uh gym desk specifically? And it was probably, I'm sure it was martial arts on rails when you first started using it. Um, how has gym desk specifically helped you with, with running the gym? Yeah, it's a really good CRM for me specifically because I didn't have experience. Mm -hmm. um in in owning and operating a gym so to start off it was super easy to start off um and then yeah like a lot of people over here as i mentioned before pamphlets faxing it's super analog Mm -hmm. um a lot of my friends still run their gyms on like paper wow so they have to wait for bank transfers to come in every month and when customers come in they usually have to pay like the first two months of, um, of tuition up front and until the bank transfer gets set up. So I feel like having a CRM like this in other countries, it's probably like super standard, but over yeah. here, it gives me like a huge step up when people come in and like, they say, what do I need to bring to sign up? And I say, just your credit card. That's all. Um, so the credit card systems like super convenient, um, and then the website as well for me that's the biggest thing there's a lot of things that make it super good right like uh making classes being able to see reservations um bookings that type of thing but the biggest thing is also the website like i started off small we're still small Mm -hmm. i don't really have enough money to outsource my my web design guy in or whatever so just being able to click 
and drag and upload some images and do that and make like a nice looking website by myself yeah. with no web experience is, is super, super good. Yeah. How's the, have you, do you use the booking feature a lot? Yeah, we, that's one of the things over here is because of COVID, um, they're, they're quite, I don't know, yeah. strict. And also um, people are wary of, of the disease, you know? Mm-hmm. So usually when you like do your marketing, you want to put in some like COVID safety stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is uh, like a fully reservation based system. So if you do like, own, you can't just walk in, you have to reserve the class, then you can always trace it back if someone did get the virus. So you can like be safe and know who was, who was in the room at the time. And mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like from a COVID perspective, even if we're not considering COVID, um, just knowing who's going to come. So how many are going to come, what kind of class you can prepare. That's good for the day. And then for the future, you can look at which classes are popular, uh, which, which customers take which classes and that sort of thing to build future schedules and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Booking for me, that's a must. Like I can't imagine, uh, having a gym and not knowing who's going to come on those days and stuff anymore. Yeah. That when I was teaching, that was always, um, it was always a question. Most days we were pretty good. We had a pretty healthy mat, but if there was any weather at all, if it was raining consistently, it was like, it was a shot in the dark as to whether anyone else would. And it was, it was, it would suck to be there and just kind of wait on an empty mat for 30, 30, 40 minutes and then have nothing going on to, for the, before the later classes started. Um, that's, that's definitely really nice. I think we have a new feature now where you can, email just the people who booked too. So if you had a situation where someone turned up positive for COVID or something like that, you could very easily just email only the people that were in that class and let them know what happened. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I think that's pretty recent. It was like December. Um, but yeah, cool. You seem to have, um, I looked at your website and you seem to have like a pretty robust online store too. Do you sell, do you sell that stuff like, um, like in, in your gym or can people order online too? Um, we don't do online orders. Uh, mm-hmm. That's all stuff that they can buy in the gym. Okay. And right now in our gym, we don't really have a credit card reader or a, like a cash register. Yeah. So it's just easier if they open up their phone and buy it and then we hand it to them like using oh. our credit card. Yeah. That's so that's kind of how we do our retail in the gym. Uh, I have had friends um, want to buy, like when I made t-shirts or rash guards or stuff, um, people that don't come to the gym from around the country that want to buy those things. And then I use the store for that as well. I send them a link and say, hey, like buy this, I'll send you it in two days. Mm-hmm. So yeah, from the retail perspective, um, like we're a gym, right? We don't really do retail that much, but yeah, it's it's super convenient for just buying waters and stuff at the gym. Mm-hmm. They just have to push a button on their phone and then I can give them the water. Um, and also there's potential there like to do retail. Um, yeah. I could ship things like all over the country and use that for the transactions. Yeah. Yeah. Some gyms like to, it, it every gym is different, but um, when, you know, when I was open, I didn't really sell anything. I had maybe 
had uniforms and like t-shirts, but usually just got that when you signed up. But some gyms I've seen, I've even trained at, they're like, they got all the, they have all this merch and you can get the hoodie and you can get the, um, the, the, um, the joggers and you can get a custom like towel (laughs) and the water bottle and all that kind of stuff. And, um, supplements too. Sometimes it's really big. People Mm -hmm. sell supplements. I can be a moneymaker. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Do you have any tips for, for somebody that wants to open up overseas? I know that you said everything fell into place, but maybe there's something. Yeah. You know, um, I can only speak from my experience here in Japan. So like the, the number of guys who speak English who are watching this podcast, who who want to do it in Japan might be very small, but uh, if you're out there, um, this is how I recommend doing it. So first you got to save up money. Uh, so you should live like a pretty frugal life, um, and just grind and get your, get your, uh, jujitsu like accolades up, try to get as many titles as you can get your name up as much as possible. Um, and then what you want to do as well is try not to work at any job, uh, that doesn't relate to your jujitsu career. So Mm -hmm. If you can, like, I don't know, work at some kid's preschool teaching English where you could collect, like, the parents' um, contacts and they could become your future jujitsu students, right? So try to angle your work towards marketing um, and customer acquisition. And then also after work, like, rent out a public space and uh, start up a jujitsu circle and start getting some students there. Make it super cheap. And then show these guys the value of, of what you're giving them. Take them to competitions, like uh, go out and have dinner parties and stuff like once a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then um, once you've got a base of students, then open up your gym. Um, you don't want to open up with zero customers and just believe that people will come. You'll be like bleeding cash and, yeah. and going through your savings or, right. or whatever money you were able to get loaned to you. So. Yeah. Biggest things, um, save money, work at a job where you can acquire contacts that will become your, your future students. And then also uh, side hustle where you can teaching at uh, gyms or even get teaching experience at other gyms. Like uh, just go to some gyms and say, hey, you guys looking for a coach once a week? Um, and then you can learn there kind of how to teach. Teaching is a lot different than competing. So yeah, you got to learn how to teach first. Yeah. And that's, a, those are the big things for me, I think. That's great advice. One thing um, I did that I forgot to ask was your coach. Like, do you have a coach? Is he in-house or do you go somewhere to, with him? Or do you have, like, how, how do you get cornered? How do you, how do you continue to um, Im- improve? Yeah, man. Um, I have been a transient being since I started BJJ. I started when I was studying abroad. Mm-hmm. So that was only two months Then I went back to the States and, uh, I had known the guy that I trained with in the States from before my study abroad mm-hmm. when I was doing judo, I used to go there, but, um, I was with him for like nine months and I got my blue belt from him, John Gutta. He's released some, uh, videos on BJJ fanatics. He won some fight to win super fights. He's mm-hmm. out there in Iowa. He's like the number one guy in Iowa, mm-hmm. John Gutta. Um, so I got my blue from him. Then I went to go teach English in Japan out in the country. 
There's a small jujitsu club over there. And I got my purple over there. Uh, then I went to like the central region of Japan where there's a lot of Brazilians, mm-hmm. like Brazilians of Japanese descent who have come mm-hmm. from, so like they first went to Brazil to farm. And then they came back to Japan to work in the auto parts companies. So there's a lot of these like Brazilians that are tough. So that's yeah. why I went there to train. And uh, that's where I got my brown from Leandro Cassano. And uh, yeah, like I'm still with Leandro Cassano. I got my black from him as well. Um, but yeah, when I go to compete, uh, I usually ask, I'm in Tokyo now. So like that's, quite far from where Leandro's at. So when I compete, um, I ask one of my buddies to coach me. Um, I've got like a lot of high level training partners. Mm-hmm. The last guy who I asked to coach me was, uh, Igor Tanabe. He submitted Tommy Langacker in Polaris, uh, like two months ago or something. He's going to fight in EUG again. The dude's a stud. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. 20 years old and, um, like one of the top black belts in the world right now. So yeah, long story short, like that's, I'm kind of doing my own thing. Um, I don't really have a teacher. That's one thing I miss is having like class to go to and learn from. So I got to take that part of my training into my own hands and drill with guys and and research with guys and, um, and do that kind of thing. Yeah. That, that's a really interesting to me because I've had to spend a lot of time self-training as well. Um, Cause I've never, I haven't been connected to a master in my Taekwondo journey for well over, well over a decade. So I do have friends who are really good that, that I talk to and train with when I can. Um, so I'm, I'm interested, uh, if, if you have tips for people who actually want, who are in a position not to do it on purpose, but are, but, but really out of necessity to, to actually take their training in their own hands and guide their own training if you have tips for how they can improve? Um, you know, it's, it's different. And the way I look at it is I, I line up like all my training partners and they're all like on the spectrum of how good you could be in BJJ. They're all like here, like really close together. But uh, the, the ways that there's like two groups of guys and how they train. And I'm in the first group, which is like, we're like intuitive. We're like wild animals. So basically 90% of my training, I just spar. Uh, And that's how I do it. Yeah. And of course, like if I, like I'm, I'm training and I'm thinking about what I'm doing and trying different things and and Mm -hmm. doing different things. Uh, I'm not just like super wild, but, but that's just what I do. I get better by sparring. Mm -hmm. And there's the other half of these guys, my training partners, right? These guys spar. Sparring is maybe like 50% of their training. They drill for hours. Hmm. They, they buy like every single DVD that comes out from BJJ fanatics or jujitsu X or whatever. And then they go through those and like, they drill everything. They know everything. It's crazy. But I'll tell you what, whether it's a ratio of like 50 to 50 sparring and drilling or 90 to 10 sparring and drilling like when we spar it's not like either side is way better than the other you'd be surprised yeah so you got to decide if you're a logical type of guy or more of like an intuitive type of guy and uh and then base your training off of that 
and it's going to be hard to find um sparring partners like especially if you live in a place with like various academies you know mm-hmm. you can't like just go in and train at some academy unless you're a member right so yeah with me we've got like a group of 10 or 15 guys from different academies who we don't care about the academy type of stuff and we just come together and train hard so i've been very blessed with that environment mm-hmm. uh try to see if you can find an environment like that and if you can't then you just got to like find some wrestlers and try to coerce them into training bjj <laughs> and pajamas with me like yeah that's all yeah yeah cool yeah for me I, i'm logical when i'm not training when i'm training i would rather feel through it I, I've become increasingly allergic to drilling <laughs> because it's just not, first of all, I've done so much of it, um, but it, it's just way more fun to, to feel your way through problems. And when you, you come into contact with the problem, you just repeat the problem until you find something that starts to work. And then you lean into that, right? Ex, ex, mm. Exploring is way more rewarding. I think it's more natural to the way humans learn personally. And, um, yeah, for me, it's actually have a whole other hobby horse of, of studying like training methodology and stuff. It's not surprising that somebody who actually just spars a lot is comparable to somebody who does tons of drilling on top mm-hmm. of it. To me, it's, it, it makes sense personally, but to other people that might be different because people are under this illusion that you have to do tons and tons of drilling. And my, my instructors always said, you have to put in your reps, put in your reps, put in your reps. Mm. And late, later on, I'm like, hmm, not really. <laughs> you don't really have to put in a few reps, but <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to do like, there's no obligation for you to do like tons of drilling. You really need to like roll. You, yeah. just, need to, you just need to get in there and roll and have, just have the opportunity to, to practice the things that you've, you've been taught. As a competitor, that's my thoughts exactly. Like, yeah. You spar, you'll be good. How many moves do you honestly use when you compete anyway? You just use your right. best three moves, right? So, yeah. But um, if you want to be a good teacher, that's where the drilling will come in handy. Like, yeah. Because you'll be able to teach anything. You know, sometimes you can do a move, but you can't really teach it because you, you don't understand, like, the mm-hmm. subtle, you don't understand how to explain it to someone who doesn't know it. Yeah. But if you've drilled it a lot, then you'll know all the tiny details. And and those guys who drill are very good teachers. They get lots of private lessons, um, seminars, and those types of things. So mm-hmm. there is a correlation with teaching, for sure. Yeah, I can agree with that. So where where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, at Grant Bogdanov, just my full name, no spaces. Um, you can find me there. Check it out. That would be great. Um, the gym is called Alma Fight Gym Life. You can find that on my Instagram page as well. Um, if you guys, anyone watching this has any questions about uh, opening up a gym in Japan or, you know, once the, the COVID thing starts settling down um, and they start doing the big tournaments here in Japan again, like the IBJJF Asian Open, uh, Abu Dhabi Grand Slam Tokyo, um, my gym is like walking distance from the Abu Dhabi Grand Slam Tokyo Arena that they do it at. So cool. uh, if anyone wants to come train, once these borders open up, just hit me up and uh, we can work something out. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for coming on, man. Yep. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.